0: On today's Satellite Superheroes, we are talking about hyperspectral imaging satellites and detecting problems that are invisible to today's satellites. Let's get cracking. Always, thank you very much for joining Satellite Superheroes. Thank you very much for finding time in your busy schedule to talk to the best satellite professionals, I want to say, in the galaxy.
1: (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me,
0: All right, man. I, uh, listeners, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, how Pixel, the company Pixel, is using uh, hyperspectral uh, imagery to make in our lives better. But before we get into that conversation, uh, Aways, give us a little background. Is there a level set on who you are and why, I mean, why satellites?
1: Yes, Scott. So I think starting off, uh, I am first and foremost a space lover. So getting to work on space technology every day is fun. That's what I think eventually led to Pixel. But a little bit of background on me, Uh, I had always loved space ever since my dad got me these encyclopedias on the solar system and black holes and whatnot. And that love has stayed the same ever since. But things started to really take off while I was in university. There were a couple of experiences specifically. The first was being part of the student satellite team that was working with the Indian Space Agency. So that's where I learned what it actually takes to build a spacecraft that can work in the harsh confines of space and vacuum. And then the second experience was uh, leading the engineering for Hyperloop India team. So when SpaceX and Elon came up with the idea for the Hyperloop and they built this one mile long vacuum tube at their headquarters, we were one of the finalist teams, one of the 20 finalist teams out of 2,500 global applicants that managed to manufacture this, bring it to LA, show it to Elon and the rest of the team. But while we were there, that took us on a tour of the SpaceX factory. So looking at those rocket engines being built, looking at that Falcon booster that landed back on Earth. That's when it crystallized my mind that I've always loved space, but I want to work in space for the rest of my life as well. Came back from there, looked at a variety of different ways in which I could contribute. Satellite data seemed like something that was easier for a college student to pick up uh, due to some of it being available for free. The computing resources available on the university. Um, And that's when there was a realization that, you know, probably we can do better with what is happening today versus what can be done. Um, So we decided to start Pixel there. So that's a little background about me and what led to Pixel.
0: Uh, excellent job. I, I, I can't add to it. However, I can ask the question, can for the listeners, uh, what does hyperspectral
1: imagery mean? Yeah. So when you look at, when we started looking at satellite sources, there were a few different kinds of satellite imagery. You have the passive kind and you have the active kind. So the active kind is where satellites emit signals and then capture signals. So that's Synthetic aperture radar, we'll keep that aside. A major chunk of Earth observation is passive remote sensing or passive imaging, wherein there is a camera or a sensor that is capturing whatever is coming, there is nothing being emitted. And in the passive imaging side of things, there's RGB, multispectral and hyperspectral imaging. Everything that we see with our human eyes is information in red, green and blue wavelengths. So that's information in three channels. When you look at the night vision goggles that you know the army or someone else uses, you are able to see the heat signature in the infrared range. So that's an example of multispectral. You're going one step beyond RGB to about 10 information channels or 10 wavelengths. But hyperspectral is the next step to this where you're capturing data in the entire visible and infrared range in hundreds of these wavelengths. Now, how does that translate to a use case? Um, when we, we looked at existing sources of satellite data, we realized that We still can't detect gas leakages from pipelines. We still can't detect where the emittance for air pollution are coming from, where the emittance for water pollution are coming from. We can't identify pest infestations on time. We can't look at crop diseases, which are invisible um, in terms of its symptoms. And that required a kind of imaging that had the capacity to capture lots of data. And that's where hyperspectral imaging really shines. If you are looking at a farm with just uh, an RGB camera, you can see this is farm this is a town, this is a city, but you can't say anything beyond that. With multispectral, you can go one step beyond and say, yes, this is the health of the crop. It's green, it's red, it's doing average. But with hyperspectral, you can see so much more. You can see the soil and say, there is a particular nutrient missing here, so you need to use this fertilizer. It can look at the pest infestation and say, here is where this pest is spreading from or a crop disease is spreading from. You can identify irrigation levels due to the moisture content. So that, that essentially is what hyperspectral imaging is, uh, which enables us to see these unseen problems um, that our eyes or multispectral cameras today are not able to see.
0: So So it gives us... I mean, I would imagine society a better uh, ability to be able to identify challenges, and then be able to deploy, if it's capital resources, whatever people to correct it faster. Now, are these are you, these satellites that? I'm looking at your 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 card here, where you said, "Hey, you ha- you've already launched a satellite on uh, SpaceX," which is pretty cool, by the way. I mean, not very, not very many people can say that, right? That's, that's just a pretty cool statement. Um, are these satellites with this technology uh, able to, they're probably geosynchronous, right? Are they in one place or can you move them around? What, tell us, give us a little, I, I got the use case.
1: I see the value. Now what? I got it. Tell us what's next. Yeah, so the satellites will be in a sun-synchronous orbit. So a geosynchronous orbit is in sync with the Earth, which means one point with with respect to the Earth. But a sun-synchronous satellite is in sync with the Sun, which means that it's moving around the globe. So one satellite that is in a circular sun-synchronous orbit can do global coverage. And what that means is if you're taking an image of Los Angeles today at 10 a.m., The image of any other place anywhere, say Bangalore in India, is also at 10 a.m. So the satellite's orbit is in sync with the sun at each point. The image capture time is constant, um, which helps with the uniformity of the data. Now, with one satellite that we have up there that we launched on April 1st um, on SpaceX, as you mentioned, We can do global coverage, but the revisit over a particular area is very low. We can do it every 15 to 21 days. So if I'm taking an image of Los Angeles today, the next image will be about 15 to 21 days later, which is where the constellation comes into the picture, and which is our pixel wants to launch the constellation. If you have a bunch of these satellites, we are planning six for early next year, which will be in a sun synchronous orbit at around 500 or so kilometers from the surface of the earth. They can capture globally. But they can also capture every two days So by increasing the number of satellites and increasing how frequently a particular area can be imaged um, and the plan is essentially this have these satellites that can capture it anywhere so that we can serve customers globally we'll do it at the same time with respect to the sun so that there's uniformity everywhere so that analysis becomes easier um, and we're able to do it um, very frequently so we can see things that are changing um, almost at real time on a every two-day basis to start with and everyday basis eventually
0: See and and, and correct me if I'm wrong. You can uh, you were talking about 21 days. So there's a there's a speed at which that satellite rotates the Earth, and then you can, in essence, speed that up to be able to to take pictures or or observe what is necessary and be able to one um, see changes quickly. Right. So if you're looking at emissions of some sort, uh, uh, fire risk, whatever might be the vegetation component, you're able to say, hey, we, it, we were here the yesterday, a couple of days. Oh, look at that. There's been a degradation or whatever. Let's get out there. And then you can do whatever your data analytics capabilities uh, uh, warn. That are You've got this satellite in the air. It's great. It's, uh, it's in orbit, circling 20... Do you have
1: clients and customers that are using that data today? We do. We do. So we had, uh, so we have had a camera already go up to space last year. Uh, this one that we launched was a fully fledged satellite, which was a second version of the camera. But with, with the help of some partners, we'd already launched a camera into space. And we also have a smaller version of the same hyperspectral camera that can be put on drones. So we have been taking images of a variety of different places. We've been working with clients in the agriculture, in the urban monitoring, in the environment space to help identify what additional benefit hyperspectral data actually brings in. So that once we do actually have many satellites up there, that data can be replaced with with data from space. So some of these clients, I'll take an example of a use case that we did. We worked with um, an agri-science company here to look at how genetically modified crops versus non-GMO crops actually perform. And if you're providing lesser irrigation levels to a GMO crop, does it give still the same yield and are the plants at the same health level as a non-GMO crop with much higher irrigation? So we can say water for a farmer or something else. So um, we have been working for the past year, year and a half, uh, continuously building models to analyze imagery because beaming down data from space is just step one. Now we yeah. need to actually take this data and, and make it useful for uh, whoever is using it, right? The farmers, um, the governments, the people. Um, so yes, we have been we have been working specifically in the agriculture and the environment domain.
0: See, and and, and people don't realize, and I, and I know I don't, I I don't appreciate the the level of science that exists within the ag business, and how it has evolved, and how through that. Uh, innovation in that technology creates greater yields and makes, a, makes the world a better place. And this is just another tool within their arsenal to probably just, it's, from. correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's, I think it's a game changer. I mean, I, I've been around <laughs> it. I think it's much of a game changer.
1: It is, it is. When when NASA, so there have been very few agencies that have launched hyperspectral satellites to space and it's predominantly only been space agencies with hundreds of millions of dollars, NASA is one. And when the, the hyperspectral satellite was decommissioned in 2015-2016, The headline was that NASA's smartest earth imaging satellite is being decommissioned and that's because of the amount of sheer data that hyperspectral imagers capture and beam down and that enable us to see it. So use cases that are becoming very, very important in the recent years, such as measuring the amount of carbon that is emitted measuring the amount of carbon that is sequestered or stored someplace else how will the carbon economy function um uh, this industry or this company promised that they would emit um carbon of less than this amount and have they actually been adhering to those um are different oil and gas companies adhering to the different regulations that the government imposes to to curb air pollution and you know climate change those are the things that actually need Monitoring at a global scale, and you can't do that with multispectral data or RGB data, which is where hyperspectral comes in. So, um, um, you know, that's why we got into it. Uh, hyperspectral is a superset of existing data, which means you can still do what you're doing, but you can do just so many more things. Um, the challenge was but to there's got to be okay. just
0: an absolute tsunami of of data and imagery. How do you how do you sift through that? I I, I get it, and, and I and correct me too if I'm wrong here. Uh, Hyperspectral technology will probably increase as time goes on, right? It's like, hey, we got new technology, we can see this now. And and it's just it's a non-stop. How do you deal with that tsunami of uh, information to make it tactical, right? Go here, do this now. Look what's going on there. How do you do that?
1: Yeah, I think the, the second biggest technical challenge after the making of the camera itself is how do you store the sheer amount of data that's there and how do you beam it down from space? There's limited ground stations, there's limited time. You need to beam that data down to a ground station from where it goes to a centralized cloud repository. So I think it's become a whole lot easier now thanks to Google and Amazon and Microsoft with their cloud services where we can store it. But the challenge lies in actually figuring out the most efficient storage systems. How do you store so much amount of data and you know how are you are able to extract it at a moment that you need it very quickly? How do you, you know, use computing systems to analyze it? So I would say it's, it's much easier than four years ago, simply because these uh, cloud uh, solutions have made it easier. It costs it it costs us a, a whole lot to actually store it and analyze it. But, you know, that's the, the cost of having so much information. But um, as I mentioned, the challenge has been storing it on the satellite in the first place and then beaming it down to the ground. But once it's on the ground, it's a matter of then putting it on the cloud. Um, but then we have dedicated teams that are responsible for working on agriculture a dedicated team working yeah. on environment a dedicated team working on oil and gas so that each team knows this is the the output and they extract different things from that same image so that same image can tell you different things depending on what you're looking at and for that we have different teams that that you know, that the, whose, whose sole job is to, to do this thank god because
0: uh, because it's it just you know we've all been down that road where the the hey this is great we can collect this data this is fantastic now what do we do oh my gosh, it's too much. And then it just, people just, I can't, I can't comprehend. So there's gotta be the ability to be able to analyze it in an effective way. Now, this is sort of a a deviation. So you've got your, your camera, you're doing your stuff, you are downloading this, you're, you're working with clients, all that good stuff. And I, and I agree. And you're working out the challenges and that'll, that's just sort of exercise. You got to do it and it's going to happen. Um, what about some of the, the the interesting human component of, of let's say, hey, there's a liability here. How do you act upon it? You didn't act upon it. This is the and and people's reluctance to want to have so much information about it. It's just a, it's just like there's a societal uh, friction there. Do you, do you, it, it, it's going to happen, but what do we what do we do about that?
1: yeah i think uh, there's there's obviously any technology that has good uses to it obviously comes with certain security concerns yeah the the good thing about the images that we are building and the satellites we are sending up there is that the resolution is good enough from a spectral standpoint which means you can see many things but the spatial resolution is is still not at a level where you can identify individual cars or license plates or individual people so there's no individual privacy concerns in the sense that we we can't really look at a particular person's face or a license plate or a car and say that this is mapped to this person what we can do is look at macroeconomic trends we can look at entire farms we can look at districts we can look at states um we can look at different oil and gas pipelines Um, And there's obviously the concern that there's a data that is not someone else's, but they're procuring that. But it's a business that's been going on for the past three decades in, uh, in terms of what satellite data is able to do and how satellite companies have been selling this data globally. Um, so we try to obviously ensure that it, it's maintained in as ethically as possible, but um, anyone can get hands to any satellite data nowadays um, and be able to see how that's happening. <laughs> the good thing is there's no individual privacy concerns, but for the rest of it, um, it's been a business that's that's been going on for a few years. Um, and, and we just try to ensure that the, the partners that we work with are uh, as it are as it so
0: put your future hat, which you've been putting your future hat on. I'm, I'm on your website right here, and I see a person picking up a satellite, like one person picking yeah, it up. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Where do you see it going? Are you seeing uh, even smaller versions of these satellites, better? Where, where do you see it
1: going? I think the satellites will definitely get better and smaller in general, but there is a limit to the physics of certain things, right? So there's, there's no point. I mean, people have built satellites that are uh, the size of uh, a hardbound textbook, right? Not, not more than that, okay. but uh, we have, we have gone down from really, really large satellites, which are the size of a school bus to the, the size of a shoebox, And then we have sort of come back to the middle and said, you know, there's, there's a sweet spot here. There's no point in making it small for the sake of making it small. Yeah. It's great for universities and students and researchers to actually test out some things to learn how to build satellites. But for something of commercial value, we have seen things go from, as I said, school bus to shoeboxes to now somewhere in between where it actually makes sense. So a satellite that would have weighed um, 1000 kilograms is, now weighs 100 kilograms and does the same thing. But will a 10-kilogram satellite be able to do the same thing? No, there's a a physical limit to what it comes. I would say it depends. If you're working on a communication satellite, it's going to be between 100 to 200 kgs. If you're looking at an Earth observation satellite, it could be anywhere from 15 kgs to 150, 200 kgs. So in general, the trend is that what used to weigh tons is now weighing just hundreds of kilograms, but uh, there's limited use cases to very, very small satellites as well. But it's, it's great that people can just learn what it takes to build something that will work in space, end it up there and then use that knowledge to, to make better things. I,
0: I think we're still sort of in a Renaissance uh, period because I think that uh, uh, the, the whole commercialization of that capability is, is still new. And I believe that uh, we're just scratching the surface. I, I, I don't, know what the future holds. All I know is that uh, it's it's pretty bright when it comes to this stuff. And I think from a from a human perspective, it just makes our lives better. It makes farming better. It makes how we deal with spills and things better. And I think that that, that I believe, is, is the real nugget here. All right, we're going to wrap it up. How do they get a hold of you? Outside of the fact that I'm on your which is pretty cool. It's pixel.space. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. It's <laughs> <That's> pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's your website. So how do they get a hold of you?
1: Um, so I think we are, uh, the, the forms on the website, we respond to almost all of them. Uh, if you're Good. looking for jobs, you have pixel.space slash careers. But for if you want a one-stop place where to reach us, contact at the rate pixel dot space, and we'll get back to you.
0: There yeah, yeah, man. That's a yeah, this was a great conversation. I think we're just scratching the surface. Love to get you back on and see what you're doing and, and and sort of the results of some of these use cases and and from a ag perspective, I think that would be a great conversation. Yeah. Oh, great. yeah thanks, Scott. Fantastic conversation! Thank you very much, and listeners, we're going to wrap it up on the other side. So stay tuned for all the contact information. We'll be right back. All right, listeners, thank you very much for joining Satellite Superheroes and Al Hardy. Thank you to Aways for imparting his wisdom into hyperspectral imaging and how that you know that technology can detect challenges here on Earth that we can't see with our eyes. Our existing satellite technology i'm telling you man i'm pretty excited about the future and the use of satellites in a big doggone way making our lives better all right go out subscribe to satellite superheroes and then reach out to you know uh aways and team pixel and find out more about what they're doing and helping our lives be better so thank you again for joining satellite superheroes we're going to have another great conversation shortly so do not go away stay tuned